Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. We're starting a new series. Is if, if this is your first Sunday with us, I'm glad you're here. It's a new series. It's always fun to start at the beginning of something. If you normally come on Saturdays or Sundays, this is not your first Sunday, watch out. <laughs> it's coming. Dangerous prayers. You guys, I'm a little bit too loud. Dangerous prayers. Are you kidding me? Praying, that's what we're supposed to do uh, at church and in Sunday school and the children uh, at home. I mean, all throughout the Bible, God's constantly telling us to pray and pray, pray without ceasing, never stop praying, pray in the morning, pray in the afternoon, pray in the evening, pray all night long, pray and fast. I mean, praying is what we're supposed to do. How can God command it? In fact, Jesus even modeled it. How can Jesus, uh, God command it? Jesus modeled it. And then suddenly it becomes dangerous. How can that be? I thought prayer was a good thing. Let's think about prayer for a second. When we pray to God, we're asking him to do what? To fix something, to to heal someone, to change something. That change is good if it's what we're asking him to change. We have a friend, a family member, a family member here in the church who's sick or hurting or in the hospital. We pray earnestly that God would change that, would fix that, would heal that problem. That's good for someone else. It's even okay if we ask God to change, fix, or heal something in our own body. If we give him permission to fix this thing, to change this aspect, to heal this part of our body or our spirit or our heart, that's also okay because we have okay. The problem comes when we ask God to change something that we're not sure we want changed. The problem comes when we ask God to change something that we're not even sure we want God to know about. We don't want anyone to know about. That's when it becomes dangerous. Here's the deal. Uh, uh, we all know what's going on in our lives. In fact, even King David, uh, the, the verse is going to pop up. In fact, would you all throw that first verse, the verse, search me, oh God. You all have heard this verse. You probably memorized it. You've heard sermons about it. You've talked about it in Sunday school. Let me just throw up this one little bit. This is where we're going. Uh, just, we're we're going to read it through quickly, but we need to jump back before we get to it. Search me, oh God. Uh, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where we're going. That's the answer to all of our problems. But that is also the dangerous prayer. Before we dig into this dangerous prayer, we need to go back even just a few verses and hear what was coming out from the same mouth. David, who prayed this pious, deep, theologically deep prayer that is reverberating through the theological world, even to this very day that we are challenging ourselves with to pray this prayer. That same mouth, this is what he said just a few verses ago. Look at, we're in, first, in Psalms 139, 23, 24, but we're going to jump all the way back to verse 19. In fact, if you have your phone with you, you can even pull it up on your phone, hit your Bible app, hit the word events, choose our church and all the text will come up there. But as we do that, I want you to look back just a couple verses. We're not even gonna, not even gonna dig into these verses. I just wanna, I want you to hear what came out of the same mouth just a few verses before. This is the same King David. He's saying this. <clears throat> just before he said, search me, O God. This is it. If only you, God, would slay all the wicked. 
Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you, God, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate? The same mouth said the word hate. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. This is the same mouth. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. What is going on here? The same mouth that just gave us this beautiful prayer of depth and and openness to God. Search me and know me and, and fix me and change me. I give you full permission, Lord. That's how pious and open I am to your leading. He's ranting and raving and playing the blame game with all of his enemies. Here's the problem. I don't think any of us would ignore the fact that we have something going on inside of us, a problem, uh, a, relational, a relationship that is broken, uh, uh, an issue with our walk with God. We know when that's happening. We're very much aware when that's happening. And if you're not exactly sure, ask your wife. I know she's aware that it's happening. That's not the problem. The problem is we get into this whole David uh, blame game and we're pointing it outside of us for the problem that is actually inside of our own hearts. David's ranting and raving and pointing fingers and saying, it's, it's them, it's, it's, it's your enemies, it's, it's the culture, it's, it's the politicians, it's the, it's the pandemic, it's the, it's the doctors, it's the schools, it's the liberals, it's the conservatives, it's this TV station, it's that TV station. And we're blaming and we're pointing and we're wagging our finger when all the while God wants to get to the root of the problem. Don't be a David. He does get to verse 23, and he says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where we're going, and that's where we're landing. It is still a dangerous prayer, and David gave us vividly how closely this dangerous prayer lives to the exact opposite of what God is calling us to do, this name-calling, blaming, outside-of-us issue. So let's dig in and see what God wants to do. So what does search me look like? Let's, let's dig into that just for a little bit, and we're going to find five different ways we're going to talk about searching me, knowing me, testing me, seeing me, and leading me to today. As we dig into search me, let's understand exactly what God's saying. Why do we even need to pray that prayer of search me, oh God? It's a dangerous one. It's because we are too involved in, well, you know how magicians do it. They, they use misdirection. They use deflecting. We know that God's trying to get to our heart. We know the issue is inside of our own hearts, but we're too busy blaming others. You know how magicians do it? They'll wave the one hand uh, uh, brightly and colorfully and loudly with one hand, and all the while they're doing the, the magic with the other hand, and you're so busy watching this hand, they don't even, you don't even see them pulling a rabbit out of a bag, right? Politicians do this all the time. They'll, 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 if there's a problem in their platform, if there's a problem in the country or in their state, they'll, they'll blow up some, some menial issue that really has nothing to do with anyone and would never really become an issue for anybody ever, but they blow it up in the media as big as they can so no one's watching the real problem that's behind them. We do the same thing in our real life. We, we blow up things that aren't there. And if we can look at someone else, if we can look at something else, if we can focus our attention, our, our concern, our anger, our frustration, on something else, no one's looking at the real problem. 
we deflect. Secondly, we need to pray this prayer, search me, God, because too often we don't even realize the problem lies within us. We are so focused on what's going on outside of us because the truth is there is a lot going on outside of us, whether it's the political world, the... the culture, the society, it doesn't matter where it's coming from, but we are being constantly bombarded with all these other things. We don't even realize that we become, we become so convinced of our own rightness in a situation. We become so convinced of our own rightness in a relationship. We become so convinced of our own rightness on a certain point, and, and it becomes that everyone else that doesn't agree with us is wrong. Our rightness opposed to their wrongness means they're all wrong and all right. We become blinded by the truth. We begin saying things to other people that we would never say. We, become, we, we begin doing things to other people who we normally love and care about and fellowship with that we would never do. Because we are so blinded by the fact that we don't see the, 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 the sin that is in our own lives. All we can see is outside of us. And I tell you what, if we would begin praying this prayer, search me, God, instead of search them or search outside or search our culture, there's no question there's problems outside of us. But if we would stop praying that prayer and start saying, God, search me, we would cut half, at least, at least half of the drama out of our lives. (laughs) I mean, we have enough drama in our own lives, in our own relationships, our own family, even our own church. There's enough drama that we have to deal with every day. We don't need to import more drama from outside. It is constantly bombarding us. Uh, We're constantly being bombarded by the injustices of the world. Uh, This constant bombardment, it it renders us even numb. It it paralyzes us. And, And so God is saying, Uh, And God is calling us to say, search me, Father, not search the world. Because if we continue to search outside of ourselves and not in ourselves, this numbness, this paralyzed feeling will never allow us to see the change that we're asking God to make. The world will not change until we allow God to change our hearts and change us. Why else do we pray this prayer, search me? We must pray, search me, O God. Now, what's the difference? If we are just asking friends and brothers and sisters, maybe even a leader in the church, a deacon, maybe even a pastor, we're going to give you our best shot. We're going we're to help you in every way and any way that we can because we love you. But our perspective is not going to be that different from yours. It will be somewhat different. We're probably outside of the problem and we'll, it will help somewhat. But if we say, God, search me, oh God, guess what we get? We get the God's eye view of our situation. We get God's perspective, his eternal perspective on our problem, on our issue, on our broken relationships. Because what he cares about, what he sees from his perspective is not temporal, but eternal. And and you know what God would probably say? I'm not putting words in his mouth, but I would assume he would say eight out of ten times. You know what, Dave? It just doesn't matter. He might say, and I'm, again, I'm not putting words in God's mouth, but he would probably say to me, more often than not, Dave, get a good night's rest and don't answer that email for three days and see what happens. That's just probably what he would say to me. He'd probably say something different to you. But when we get God's perspective on things and not, not a trusted friend or, or a cohort or a, 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 fellow, a fellow compatriot in our fight against the big, mean, scary world, they're going to tell us pretty much what we want to hear. But when we ask God for his perspective, he is always going to give us that eternal 
perspective. So that's, that's exactly what we're, we're asking God to do. That's why we ask God to search us. But let me explain a little bit better what it means when God searches us. That word search, and, and you, I'm sure you've studied this or you've heard a sermon or two on this. You would assume, as I did, that that means that God's going to kind of inspect us and, and, and maybe even with his, with his powerful sword of his word, cut open our hearts and split it wide open and find out all the meat is in there and the nitty-gritty and the dirty stuff and kind of clean it out and wash it out and burn it off, all that kind of stuff. That's what I expected to find in this word search in the ancient Hebrew language. It was not that. This word search in the ancient Hebrew, you know what it means? To do a depth sound, to test for the depth of something. That's what this word means. So what is he saying when he's saying, I will search you? When when we pray, God search me, and God says, yes, I will search you. He's saying, I will do a depth sound. Let me explain that. We have a few uh, world champion cruisers among us. Can anyone beat Bob and Vera? I heard on good report that they have been on 27 cruises. Can anyone top that one? All right. Nope. Lori and Al, how many of y'all been on? Well, Bob and Vera, y'all better, how many you got, Bob? 52? How did I get that wrong, Bob? I, I, maybe I, I guess the, the number before you turned 50. And the, all right, sorry. Your, your reign was short-lived, Al. <laughs> okay, so, so, and obviously the rest of us have not been on that many. But if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you know how it works. You get on the cruise ship, and somewhere up near the beginning, they'll have a big map, and they kind of follow the cruise ship where it's going to all the beautiful ports, and it's, it's kind of fun to watch. I enjoy that kind of thing. I like to, to know how things work and, and look at the map and see the depth where we're at. Has anyone noticed how deep it is when those cruise ships are out in the ocean or in the, in the Gulf or in the, in the Atlantic? Maybe even you've been out to the Pacific. Who knows the deepest spot in the entire ocean? It's way out in the Pacific, the Mariana Trench, seven miles deep. Imagine that. The deepest, the deepest spot in our ocean is very close to our home. It's the Puerto Rico Trench. It's five miles deep. That's like the distance from church to my house. But straight down. <laughs> you know, uh, Phil, Phil goes fishing all the time, um, has yet to invite me, but that's beside the point. That's not the sermon point here. Um, he goes fishing all the time. When he goes out, he'll go 30 miles out, and he said he'll get as deep as 140 feet because it's not as, as deep here as out in the Atlantic and certainly as the Pacific. So, so the way they know that, it, it could be a little tiny machine, a depth finder, Sonar, radar, this, this constantly measuring that depth. That's how they know. And it'll always read up a little number, 20, 30, 40, 50. In the old days, obviously, in the Old Testament days, before they had all that fancy machinery, they had what was called a sounding line. Uh, the, remember, boats don't have ropes, they have lines. So the sounding line would have a little knot every six feet. Six feet equals one fathom. And they would, they would throw that in there, be lead or a rock or a shell at the bottom and make it sink to the bottom. And they would measure how many fathoms, how many feet deep it was. They had to be careful as they're coming into shore, they had to be very careful that they'd, they'd watch it. They didn't want to run aground before they got all the way to shore because the waves would come, the wind would come, the storm would come, would break apart the ship, destroy their cargo, maybe even take their very lives. It was very important to know how deep it was as you entered the shore. This is the word that God is using. He's saying, search me, do a depth sounding in my heart, Lord. Is there room for you? How deep is my heart? Is there capacity in my life, in my heart, in my spirit for you to enter into my life? 
or not? Do you need to do some dredging? Do you need to do some cleaning out? Do you need to make the way free so that you, God-sized you, can enter into my life? What is the potential for God's involvement in your life? That is what this prayer means. I kind of want to say period, the end after that, because that alone, that alone will be enough meat to chew on all day and all week long. How much potential for involvement on God's part is there in your life? And if there is some dredging, some cleaning out to be done, that is his job, but you must allow it. In fact, I'll give you a little heads up. As we end our sermon, as we always do every week, we believe it is then your opportunity to respond in some way how God has spoken to you through a song, a song or prayer or, or through his spoken word. We, we, we invite you to come forward and, and, and maybe chat with me or Pastor Dave or somebody. This week we're doing it differently. We're just going to open up the, the, the stairs here. We, some people call it coming down to the altar or whatever, but just coming forward. And, and there may be some of these dangerous prayers that we talk about here that you need to that you need to actually pray today. So hold that in your heart as we continue. The first one is search me. The second dangerous prayer is know me. Look at, uh, look at the verse. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart. Now, the, you remember there's a different word for heart in the New Testament, the Greek word, and then there's in this, the Old Testament, a different word in the Hebrew. That Hebrew word is lebab. Now, for us in modern times, the heart is our seat of emotions. I love you from the bottom of my heart. We send Valentine cards that always has a little heart on them, right? That's, that, uh, we show I love you from our heart. In the Old Testament, this word lebab, it didn't mean just your emotions. It meant your whole inner self, everything about you, your, your heart, your mind, your soul. Everything about you was tied up in your heart. This is not, this is not another plea for God to to. to rip open our hearts and dig in there and find out what he needs to dredge out or clean out. This is David saying, God, I want you to, to see me. I want you to know me. I want, in fact, this word know means to ascertain by seeing. I want you to be so close that you see me. He wants to be seen and he wants to be known. He wants to be comforted. He wants to be a part of what God sees and knows. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been... Uh, in, in a place, and, and you were all alone. Maybe you were the first to arrive, or maybe you were the last to leave, or maybe you did it on purpose. Maybe you got in your car or on your motorcycle, and you just drove until you didn't see any more people, and you, you got out of your car, you got off your motorcycle, got off your bike, and you just enjoyed being alone. Well, until you didn't enjoy it anymore, and you needed some company. Or maybe you've been in a crowd. Has this ever happened to you? You've been in a, in a crowd. Wait, you remember crowds, right? There's a lot of people in one place. Yeah, we haven't done it in a while. But, but have you ever been in a crowd, maybe a football stadium, maybe a parade, but, you, but you're there and you say, oh, I was there all by myself. You're like, no, you weren't. There were 10,000 people around you. No, I was there all by myself. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've been in church and there are folks all around you and you were there all by yourself until, until someone called your name. Hey, Anthony. 
And then suddenly, you weren't alone anymore. You saw someone you knew, and, and more importantly, that you knew them. They knew you. They knew your name. They came over. Here's the deal. It's no different than 30 seconds before when you were all alone in the midst of 10,000 people. It's the difference is now you're with somebody. Someone knows you. Someone knows your name. This is David's prayer. God, know me. I want to be known by God. I want to be seen by God. I want to be loved by God. I want to be accepted by God. This is the heart. This is a prayer of every man and every woman to be known and loved in spite of what the other one knows and loves. And this is David's prayer, and he's calling us to pray the same thing. God, know me. And then, then we get to one of those words that is truly a test. In fact, it's the next one, test me, O Lord. And this word test, it does, in fact, mean to investigate, to probe. Uh, in fact, if, uh, well, uh, Elise is here. She's a jewelry maker. She knows, she knows very well what that means. When, when you have precious metals, if you want to examine a metal and know if it's good or, or not so good or valuable or not so valuable, you have to test it. You have to put it over fire. And that fire, you know what that fire does? It burns off the impurities. That's what that fire does. This is exactly that word, that testing, that purifying fire for precious metals. But, but Elise would tell you gold is gold. I mean, precious metal is precious metal. It has value, whether it's 14 carat or 18 carat or 24 carat. The difference is the more pure it is, or the, I mean by that, the more we remove the purities the impurities, the more we remove the impurities, the more value that gold has. Gold is gold, but the more pure, the more valuable. The more valuable, the more usable, the more valuable, the more it is worth. This is what God is doing in our lives. When we pray, God, test me, when we pray that from the bottom of our heart, we say, God, test me, we're saying, God, purify me. We're saying, God, I will, I will walk willingly over that, that testing fire. You may now begin burning off the impurities in me, to make me uh, from, from precious to even more precious, from usable to even more usable, from valuable to even more valuable. And I don't mean that in relationship to other people, of course. I mean valuable in his kingdom. He is better able to use us, to send us out, to place us in places strategically where he can use us to build his kingdom. And that all happens when we begin praying, God, test me, burn off our impurities. In fact, let me give you an example of what that would look like. Many of us, I would dare say all of us, we walk around with little mini-me's. You know what a mini-me, you've probably seen it on social media. Some movie star will, will have a little girl, a little boy, and they'll dress them up just like them. And, you know, they'll look like twins except for like 25 years apart. This is my mini-me. Looks just like me, acts just like me, you know, has my eyes kind of thing. That's cute on social media. It's not so cute if we begin putting these things out there all week long. You know what I'm saying? We have our, uh, our, our mini-me, our, our, our Sunday Dave. <laughs> we have our, our work week Dave. We have our, our weekend with friends Dave. We have our all alone in front of the internet computer Dave. We have our in a relationship or, or not in a relationship Dave. And, and we put out all of these mini-me's during the week and we get so confused. Which, which am I today? Uh, young people, gamers would say, we, we've created avatars. We've, we've, we've put on filters and, and, and stickers and emojis to create something that is not real. So when we pray this prayer, Father, test me. God, test me. 
burn off the impurities in me. You know what happens? He begins to burn off each one of those mini-me's that is not the real you. This is the original, untouched, makeup-free selfie. Thousands of years before we even had cell phones. God is saying, I want to make you the way you were intended to be. And he burns off all the other stuff, if you're ready to pray it. Fourthly, we pray, God, see me. See if there is any offensive way in me, but also lead me in the way everlasting. Talking about, oh, excuse me, and before, know and see my anxious thoughts. So there's, when we ask God to see us, we're asking God to, to, to perceive or to see with perceiving in our life two very important areas, our thoughts and our ways. Right there, verse 23 and verse 24. Our thoughts and our ways. Let's talk about our thoughts first. Again, we are being constantly bombarded with thoughts, with ideas, with information from the world. And I know that's a good thing. We are thankful that we grew up in this era and not last century or even two centuries ago. The power, the power that we have in that information is remarkable. The changes that are happening in our society society and culture and, and, and medicine and science is phenomenal. I, I can't wait for some of these things to finally come into being, and it's all through information. Information is power until it's not. Information is power until it becomes a load, until it slows us down, until it begins to even drain our very strength and existence. It, the scientists tell us that we, we only use 10% of our brain, so we can take it. You know, the more information, the better. But there comes a point when we can't take anymore, whether it's social media or news or, or well... Now that I'm through with school, I'll pick on school homework, <laughs> you know, uh, any of those things that, that constantly, uh, and, and, and not only my problems, but I, I'm importing the problems of my kids, and I'm importing the problems of my grandkids, and I'm importing the problems of my neighbors, and I'm importing the problems of my denomination, I'm importing the problems of my church, and it just becomes too much. On my desk, I have a computer. It's been my computer for almost seven years. That computer has been through me at, at different churches, it's been to at least 25 different countries has traveled the world. It has written uh, a, a doctoral thesis. It, it helps me every week do the work that I do here. I take it home. It helps me do the work that I do at home. We use it outside for our Saturday evening worship. That computer has been with me for a long time, but seven years for a computer. In computer years, that's like 469 years, right? So this, this little computer, it is hanging in there by a thread, right? Uh, I have to be very careful how much I throw at that computer at the same time. If I throw a bunch of information at it. At the same time, I'm throwing a bunch of commands at it. At the same time that I'm requiring or requesting or demanding information from it, you know what happens, right? You've, you've seen it on your screen as well. That, that cute little spinning beach ball, right? And that little beach ball, it's just, it'll just spin. That little beach ball's got all the time in the world. He doesn't care that I'm a big shot important pastor. He doesn't care how many deadlines I've got. That little beach ball will spin all day long if it wants to because it can. That's what's happening to your brain and my brain in this world. As long as we're allowing our thoughts to be, to, to be, our brains to be bombarded with these thoughts, with these ideas. I'll give you an example. I have your attention, more or less, for about 35 minutes each week. Roughly, about 35 minutes. I'm so thankful for that. God bless you for coming or thank you. God bless you for joining us online. I am so thankful for the time we have. That is fantastic. I love digging into God's word with you. Here's the deal. I looked it up this week. 
Can you even guess how many minutes the average American dedicates to social media each week? 17.5 hours. 17.5 hours. I get you 35 minutes. How am I supposed, how is God, how are we supposed to compete with that? I'm going to step on a few more toes. These Bible verses that we throw up on the screen, I am convinced there are some of us in this room, the last time they saw a Bible verse was last week when it was up on the screen. It is not true that we can't take in more information. You're smart folks. We're only using 10% of our brain. Bring it on. Let the information overload begin. That's not the problem. We're not... Not, we're not too dumb for that. We're plenty smart enough for more information. The problem is we're allowing a flood of information from the world and outside the Bible while we're allowing, at best, a trickle in our thoughts from God's word and what really matters, what is eternal. Folks, we must understand and allow God to see our thoughts, but also let him see our ways. The Bible says, uh, See if there's any offensive way in me. Now, what is he talking about? Offensive ways would be offensive actions. Offensive ways would even be offensive habits. But these offensive ways or actions or habits, they began as offensive thoughts. These offensive thoughts began as a thought, a habitual thought, even a rut or a river or a conduit of thoughts, when we allow, allow these thoughts into our brain and, and we allow it not once, but twice and regularly and habitually and every day at the same time, every morning or every evening or every day at a mealtime, we allow these thoughts, we, we're allowing ruts to be created in our brain, our spirit, and it allows the next thought that is similar to that thought to flow even that much faster, even that much easier until we cannot Stop it. How, how we see, how we respond, how we think about the world around us is what is creating these ruts in our brains, and it eases the way. Military commanders would tell you that the army that, that has the, the best, the most uh, well-built-out uh, system of transportation for goods and fighting men and women and machinery, that army will win the battle because they can best get their tanks. They can best get their fighting men and women. They can best get their food and resources to the places they need it. The enemy knows that about our brains. And so he is creating with all of his power these ruts in our brains to, to think about certain things. And this, this works itself out in, in, in sarcasm. It, it works itself out in our lives as, as negativity. It works itself out in our lives as, as having a complaining spirit and, and being hurtful to others, even people we love. It works itself out in anger. It works itself out in self-focus and, and only liking what I like and, and, and cutting out things in my life that I don't like, whether it's a, a style of music or a, a style of church or a style of dress, whatever it is. All of these things are, are, are ruts that we allow our brains to get into that work themselves out in our actions. Let me give you, let me give you a concrete example. Uh, think, about, uh, think about your favorite restaurant. Uh, in fact, if, if I were to say, hey, uh, I'm taking you out today for lunch, uh, where, would, where would you want to go? The first, the first thought in your mind, doesn't matter where, think about that place. Okay, so you're thinking about that restaurant, you want to go to that restaurant, you love that restaurant, and I think you should. I think you should go to that restaurant, but I'm not paying. So anyway, so, so you think to yourself going to that restaurant, that restaurant is your favorite restaurant, great. 
fine. You like that? I like this? Whatever. Who cares? That restaurant, though, is not your church. You might say, well, of course, Pastor. That's, you know, I go there to get food. I come here to get, well, I guess food too, but a different kind. You know, your restaurant is not your church. Your church is not your restaurant. Let me tell you why. When you go to that restaurant, what do you call your server, your waiter, your waitress? You call them your server, your waiter, your waitress. You might call them Mr. or Mrs., whatever, but you don't call them brother or sister. That's, that's what we call folks in the church. At the end of your meal at a restaurant, your restaurant is not your church because at the end of the meal, you get a bill and you have to pay that amount plus a tip. At the end of our service, uh, we set something out there, and if you choose to or not choose to, it's up to you. That restaurant is not your church. The restaurant's not your church because at the restaurant after your meal, you don't decide to stick around and maybe serve your server by cleaning up a little bit or go back in the kitchen and wash a few dishes like you might do at church. Your restaurant is not your church. Here's how I know that. At the restaurant, you have paying customers. They want to be served. In fact, in America, we say the customer is king. So a restaurant has paying customers that want to be served like a king. But a church, a church only has one king and you ain't him. Here's the problem. As long as we are not allowing God to see our thoughts and our ways, we will slide into these ruts. And these are ruts that, that come all too easy because we see it in the world. But I promise you, they're not coming easy because we're wired this way. It's coming easy because the enemy is attacking and forcing things. But he knows that if he can get just a few of these thoughts running down that path, it's going to make it that much easier for the next thought and the next thought. And soon he'll be feeding us all kinds of baloney that we would have never thought a year ago, but because we've allowed these little thoughts and these little actions into our lives and our brains, it now becomes a habit. And then finally, finally, we say, God, lead me. Lead me. Now, in your Bible, it may not have the word lead. It may actually have the word guide. That is actually a much better word. In fact, when I looked this up, I thought the word lead meant, okay, God, um, come alongside me. You know, after all this, you know, ripping open of my soul to the, God, to the Lord and letting him, you know, cut open my heart and, and do this major surgery and cleaning and burning off the terrible things. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a big emotional, uh, spiritual mess before the Lord. And now I'm saying, okay, God, come pick up the pieces and, and kind of carry me along in the way that you want me to go. That's kind of what I expected to find as I dug into this word, lead me. That's not at all what the word means. In fact, if you have the word guide in your translation of the Bible, that's actually a better word, to guide me. This word always means to guide you in a new or an unfamiliar place. In fact, they would use this word as they were guiding people to, to colonize a new world or leading the army, guiding the army to a new country to conquer a new country. This always had to do with new things, new places. Folks, I know how to drive home. My car can drive home almost by itself. It usually does because I'm so caught up in work and thoughts and thinking, of, well, as soon as I pull over, I got to text this one or I got to call that one. My car just knows the way. I don't need a guide to get home. I've done it a hundred, maybe even a thousand times. That's not this word. God is not, uh, David is not praying, God, come walk alongside me in the paths that I already feel comfortable going. God, come walk alongside me as I go to church on Sunday morning because I sure hope I don't forget the way this Sunday. He's saying, God, 
Take me to new places, new adventures, places I've never gone to in my own heart, places I've never gone to in ministry, in my church, or maybe in my city, places, maybe physical places in the world that you want to use me in your kingdom, to build your kingdom. That's this prayer. In this whole passage, we only have two options, the offensive way and the way everlasting. Only two options in the entire passage we've read today. You're offensive. There is either an offensive way or there is a way everlasting. If you pray, any or all of these prayers, God will only give you the option of the way everlasting. He will always choose the way everlasting. That is what makes this prayer, these prayers so dangerous. If you pray these, you're only going to get one answer, the way everlasting. Are you ready to pray that? Let's pray. Father God, you could not have made it more clear or direct. And you chose to use a guy like David, King David, to say it. We see in his story that he wasn't the the harp-playing cherub floating on a cloud, spewing sweet, spiritual, theologically pure ideals. He was a real guy in the midst of a real life making real mistakes. And yet, and yet, you chose to use him to say something so deep as what we've just read this morning. So, Father, just as you used him to to spew in one moment words of hatred at the world and those outside of himself, And then a few moments later, use this same mouth, this same man, to pray heartfelt prayers of search and know and test and see and lead. Father, we want to pray those same prayers. As we come to the end of our our time of digging into your word, Father, I pray that you would not be finished. That before we leave here, Father, if there are some or even all who need to begin praying these prayers, God, that you would empower them, embolden them, encourage them to begin doing that right now in this service. Father, none would walk out of here without beginning the process of praying these prayers right back to you. Father, we're trusting you with this because we know you love us. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.